Thank you for joining us online at Hauser Community Church. Directly after the message, we'll tell you how to contact us if you have any questions. Now let's join the speaker as he begins his sermon. Amen. Well, as we've mentioned a few times, Greg is now in Belize, and he'll be gone for the next two weeks. This morning, we have the privilege of hearing uh, one of our friends and fellow members here at Hauser Community Church, Rob Hill, is going to bring the message. So welcome, Rob, and thank you. I just want to say it is uh, an honor to get to be here and share the gospel with you today. Uh, The message, as you see, is Christ on display. That's what we're going to look at coming out of this passage. And um, since we've been here, there has been so many people, my wife and I have gotten to get to know, that display Christ, which makes it a privilege to get to share this message. Uh, I'll share a little bit about myself. Um, I'm Rob. Um, We've lived in the North Bend area for about 10 months now, and Hauser was the second church we came to when we moved here. Um, When we left our home church in our area, God was calling us to leave. My biggest prayer was that God would bless us with a good church because godly fellowship in a church home is so hard to leave, and it is so hard to find, and this was the second church we visited, which was just a blessing, and we've been here since. I want to share a little bit about my testimony. Um, I didn't grow up in the church. We attended church on the holidays, like Easter and Christmas, things like that. Um, Got a little bit of the gospel from that, but not really understanding what it means to love God or walk with God. Um, And in my teenagers... Um, I went astray, lived a worldly life, got involved in drugs and selling them, um, carousing, and just lived a, lived a hoodlum life. And, uh, but I knew in my heart I was missing something. I knew there was something more. Um, and one day I kind of just said, well, why don't I go ahead and try reading the Bible? And so I picked it up, started reading Genesis, and I found it to be amazing but a little bit confusing. And the more I read it, the more I loved it. And I just wanted this. And then they said, well, why don't I just try checking out church if I'm liking this whole Bible thing? So I started going to church, and I found um, a wonderful group of godly Christians that displayed Christ and showed what a relationship with God was. And then I was encouraged to read the New Testament or the Gospels. And uh, I was around Exodus, Leviticus, And I was very confused because I was thinking, well, there's all these laws. I broke them. Do I need to, like, get a mouse or something to make myself okay? You know, because they're they're sacrificing animals. That would be a bit much. And I was was literally confused, but feeling convicted. And so when I read about Jesus and the cross and him being the sacrifice, and the church explained, okay, that's your sacrifice, Rob, so you don't need to slaughter a goat. I was like, that's great, because that would be a mess. Uh, I I, I fell in love with the Lord and his word instantly. Um, Very quickly, I began to just preach wherever I was. Very quickly, I began to teach the Bible wherever I was. The the discovery that that this is truth, that this is the authority of all truth, that there's all these different religions, but they're wrong, and God revealed himself in this one. That was a new idea to me. I was a pluralist. I was kind of a universalist. I thought, you know, 
Buddha or Muhammad or Jesus, it's all the same thing. But when my eyes were opened up to the word and I looked at this and I could see this is reality, what scholars like to call illumination, your eyes being opened, I thought everyone must know this. And I was passionate for ministry in the gospel. Um, it's good. There were a couple of good pastors got a hold of me because it's a little bit crazy at first. That kind of happens when people first convert. Um, but then I've been blessed over the years to um, have wonderful opportunities to serve in the church, to teach. It's a privilege. Um, in, when, in my adulthood, I decided to go back and finish school. And um, I graduated from Multnomah, got a bachelor's degree in leadership and ministry in 2016. Um, I also have a wonderful wife right there and three great kiddos, um, ages 8, 10, and 12. Okay, let me see if I get this right. So, the church exists to display Jesus. This is what we're talking about today. Um, I want to go through a little review of where we've been and just kind of look at it on a map. Um, it's only so clear. You can't really see the words, but we'll, we'll, we'll try to flush out. Okay, so... Uh-oh, my laser pointer is not working. Okay, hold on one second. I have another laser pointer. Okay, let's see if this laser pointer is working. Okay, there we go. So, right here is Antioch. Uh, this is where Paul started. Now, this right, that right here um, is modern-day Turkey, and over here is modern-day Greece. So, at the beginning in Acts chapter 15, this is where Paul um, parts out. He, goes, he, he parts from uh, Barnabas, if I recall correctly, um, and he goes through, went up through here, and then up here we have Philippians, right here, or Philippi, where we get the book of Philippians, Thessalonica, where we get the book of Thessalonians, and then here's Athens, this is where there was the passage of the unknown God. Now, Greg, last week, Paul was right here in Corinth for about a year and a half, it says he stayed a little while longer, scholars say that's another six months, you might remember Greg mentioned he was in Corinth for two years. Um, and so that's where we are in the middle of the story. The next town down here is Centrea. This is where he cuts off his hair. And then he goes over here to Ephesus, or Ephesus, where we get the book of Ephesians. Aquila and Priscilla go with him here, and they meet Apollos. Now we'll get back to that. So then, he, he, well, from here at the beginning, it says it's time to go back to Syria, which is this general region here. And uh, that means he was heading home. So he goes to Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla stay here. Then he goes down here to Centrea. Then it says he goes up to the church, which means Jerusalem, and then down to Antioch, which means away from Jerusalem to Antioch here, and we end. He stays in Antioch for a little bit. It's kind of like probably a resting period, refreshing. And then he goes out from here to Phrygia and Galatia, strengthening the brothers. Now, in Ephesus, when he went on, 
Aquila and Priscilla stayed there. They met Apollos. Um, and then when Apollos sets out to this area, and I forget the name, and it's not written on here for me. I forgot an ancient Greek word. It's okay. Okay, so that kind of gives us um, sort of a visual of what's going on there. Um, I like maps because you read moving around. Um, and you can only make so much sense of it, but if you see it there, it kind of helps. So, uh, for my first point, I want to look at, in this passage, we see displaying Jesus through obedience. So, in verses 19 through 23, and they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. This is a Paul, uh, uh, Paul and, but he left uh, Aquila Priscilla there. But he himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. They asked him to stay for, for a longer period. He declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return, uh, I will re return to you if God wills. And he said, sell from Ephesus. When he had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from place to place. Oh, sorry, he went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So Paul, we see, was obedient to his mission. The Great Commission to go make disciples, and God was to send them out. He shared with both the Jew and the Gentile. So what is obedience? The Holman Bible Dictionary defines it as to hear God's word and act accordingly. The Greek, or sorry, the Hebrew word means to hear. Um, the Greek word means to hear and listen in a state of submission. So the word hear there is not like our word where sometimes you might say something to someone and they do whatever, like I heard you, but I didn't really listen to you. It, it's like to internalize what was spoken. My definition of obedience is to receive what God is saying in his word, to embrace it in your heart, and to live it out. That is obedience. We must first know and love God's word and God's truth to display Christ through obedience. So what is our motivating factor for obedience? I think we come up with several different reasons why we should do what we should do. Because the Bible says so, because God is God, um, you ought to, and those are not necessarily bad reasons, but Jesus gives us the perfect motivation for obedience in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Ultimately, obedience is not just a dogma that the Christian is supposed to follow. Obedience is meant to birth 
from my love of God, that I love God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength, that he is my pearl of great price. There's nothing that can compare to him. And from this treasuring of God, I obey. So, how do we come to a place where we love him more? Well, first, we look at what he did. We think about John 3.16. We start with a simple gospel message. And I have to do this in my life over and over and over. I am a sinner sold under sin. I have sinned. And the reality of that is that wages is death. So that literally means I should be killed, right? Like in the Old Testament, stone them with stones. It implies or is what God uses to portray by separation from him, like a block between me and God. And it ultimately means I deserve to burn in hell. I hate that, but I've, I've, I've wrestled with it, but I've had to come with grips. I actually do deserve to burn in hell because of my sin. I tell you, once I get that, once I come to that conclusion, then if I think, God so loved the world, it means a whole lot more. If I'm just a good person and we're all going to heaven and, you know, all the different religions are the same, well, sure, he ought to die on the cross. We, you know, it's just a good thing to do. But that's not the gospel message. The gospel message is I don't deserve this. I deserve to burn in hell, and he did this to save me. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only begotten son. Now, there's two things I want to point out about the gospel message. One, um, I believe if Adam didn't eat from the tree, and Eve didn't eat, and nobody ever did, and none of you sinned, and no one had ever sinned up until me, I guarantee you I'd eat from the tree. I guarantee you I'd be the first one to sin. I just know my heart's like that. And you know what else? Jesus would still die on the cross for just me. Because God so loved the world, he gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish. You don't have that punishment. The death is wiped away. It doesn't matter what you've done. Your sin is wiped away. You're dead to the law. It can, you, there's, there's, it's as though it's erased. You know, it doesn't mean that there's not consequences in our life, but between you and God, that is wiped away. And then you're given eternal life. That means he puts his life, his power, his spirit in you. Now, so when I look at 1 John 4.19, why do we love God? 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. When I wrap my mind around all that, now I could love God. If it's just a vague religion, I'm just doing it because. But when I wrap my mind around this gospel message, then he becomes so important to me. Then I want to obey him. When someone does something for you, you naturally want to do something back for them. When someone's kind to you, you naturally want to be kind. If, if you go out to lunch and someone says, I'll pay, and they say again, I'll pay, then it's like, well, next time I'll pay. You want to do something back. It's the same thing. When we look at all this great gospel, everything that God's done for us, it makes us want to just love him. We love him because he first loved us.
Next, I want to look at verse 18. This is the vow Paul took. Um, at Centrea, he cut off his hair, for he was under a vow. So now this is not a, a direct obedience issue, but it does come from devotion to God and his word. Uh, this probably would have been a Nazarite vow that's found in Numbers chapter, Numbers chapter 6. The word Nazarite is uh, a reference to consecration. So it's like setting aside. Uh, it, Paul also did it in Acts 21, uh, 23 through 26, um, showing that he was living in obedience to the law. It had uh, four elements I want to point out. One, abstinence from alcohol or wine or strong drink. Um, you refrain from cutting off your hair during the time of the vow. You avoid touching dead things. And the vow wasn't designed for any specific amount of time. Whoever was doing it could decide it. Um, so it, I think it's similar to how today Christians might fast. It's not something that you're directly commanded, but we do kind of in our devotion to God or to grow close to God, to express gratitude to God, um, or extra giving. You know, you kind of pay your tithe, and then we all have to decide how much goes to, like, a mortgage or life expenses, um, and how much do we give away. It's, it's, there's a personal choice in there, and that's kind of what this falls under. But it's a symbol of offering oneself to God. It portrays Paul as a pious Jew living, at least in certain respects, according to Jewish customs and showing loyalty to the traditions of Israel without compromising his gospel message. Now, strictly speaking, it couldn't have been a perfect Nazarite vow because he would have had to be in Jerusalem to, for a ceremony where he cuts his hair and he burns it. Um, but being free in Christ, what he has the freedom to do is take the Old Testament and realize he's not under the law, but rather than throwing away the law, he can reinterpret it in light of the finished work of the cross. And he can apply it to his life today, freely worshiping Jesus. So why did he do it? So there's some people think that it, it could have been an expression of gratitude to God for his time in Corneth. So if you remember earlier, God told him, I have many people here, I'll protect you, don't be afraid. I think if I was him, it would be really nice to have a little bit of time where people aren't stoning me or trying to kill me or imprisoning me. Like, that would just be so hard. So a break from that would have been really nice. Um, or it could have been for the rest of his voyage home to ask for God's grace in that time. Um, either way, it shows a devotion to God. So I want to ask the question, do you display Jesus through a life of obedience to his word? If you're like me, and so many of you, I would say, yes, you do a good job displaying. But if you're like me, my answer would be, yes, but not nearly as much as I'd like. Obedience is a constant work for me. Yes, I obey God, but I only do it so well. Which means I have to go back to the gospel message, the foot of the cross, and I need Jesus, and he continues to produce more and more obedience in me day by day. Next, I want to look at displaying Jesus through edification of the body. 
verse 25, um, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Now this is talking about Apollos. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So, this is now talking about Apollos. So, he knew only John's baptism. Now, here, John's baptism is not a reference to how John dipped in water. It's not about, well, John dipped in water one way, Jesus dipped in water another way. It's meant to imply John, and we're talking about John the Baptist, his teaching. Now, in verse 24 and 25, speaking about Apollos, it says that he was competent in the scriptures, so he knew his Old Testament very well, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, so he knew some things about Jesus. Yet they had to correct him, so what does this mean? So I want to go back to what did John the Baptist teach? Because that is what Apollos would have been teaching what did John what it was the spectrum of what John knew about Jesus. So, you know, John taught like in Matthew 3 2, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Um, and he said, produce fruit by keeping with repentance. Um, he talked about the axe is already at the root of the tree. Behold the Lamb of God, the one who comes to take away the sin of the world. He was teaching that Jesus is the Messiah. His disciples and followers would have known this. Um, and he had a movement that clearly spread. Um, other ancient witnesses talk about this as being like a really big explosion, like there, it was a big movement. Um, it apparently spread throughout the Roman world ahead of the apostles, because we have this teaching here now. Um, but John died in the middle of Jesus' ministry, so what did he miss? Yeah, he would not have gotten the crucifixion and the resurrection. He especially wouldn't have got it because nobody there fully understood what it was to be. So he understood all these things about Jesus. He taught that Jesus was the Messiah. This message about Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, as, as the Messiah would have spread, but they wouldn't have gotten that Jesus died on the cross. You know, in Romans chapter 6, where, Jesus, or where Paul says, as many of you that were baptized into Christ Jesus, you were baptized into his death, buried with him, risen with him, they wouldn't have gotten that. So that would have been what Aquila and Priscilla would have filled him in on. So John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, but Christ's baptism is not just a baptism of repentance, but it's a baptism of repentance in living for him. 2 Corinthians 5.15, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. In the Christian life, repentance is just merely the prerequisite for living in the kingdom. The Christian life is not about not sinning. Not sinning is good, repenting is good, but we repent and turn from sin so that we can live for him, worship him, love him. So, 
Apollos was this educated guy, but there were things about Jesus he missed. It makes me wonder, are the things about Jesus in a relationship with God I am missing? Is there someone here today that maybe God is calling you to explain the ways of the Lord more accurately to? Next, we see displaying Jesus through discipleship. And in verse 23, after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. The word strengthen, and I'm not going to say this right, is epserizo. I practiced that. I still couldn't get it down. And it means a prop or a support. So how do we strengthen each other? 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another, build up one another, just as you are doing. So this word encouragement in the Greek, it's, it's a call to one side or to come alongside someone, to give support, confidence, or hope, to prop up, similar to the word strength, and this word build up, it's like building a house. It's like when you have materials, like you have like one layer, like concrete, then you put on wood, then you put on another layer. It's building up. So it would be like looking at someone in their Christian life, realizing, okay, so they've got this, but I see they need this. And so I try to encourage them or help them to understand this, develop this in their life. In essence, this is making disciples, like in Matthew 28, 19. It means to have an effect on people in such a way that they're becoming more like Jesus, that they're growing closer to God. So in the words you say, in the things you do, you help people know God more. When you're fellowshipping, I want to encourage you to stop and pray. And ask the Lord, is there something I need to say to this person to help them know you more? Is there something I can say that will prop them up, that will restore their faith, that will challenge them, that will help them love God more? Is there someone here today that needs your love, your encouragement during our fellowship time? Next, we display Jesus through sharing the gospel. Verse 19, And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. 25, And he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and be. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogues, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately. So, 
we see reasoning, being fervent in spirit, teaching, and speaking boldly. And where does this passion for sharing the gospel come from? Romans 1, 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. If I grasp this message, I am compelled to share it one way or another. If I grasp this idea that people are hellbound, but salvation is Jesus, is in Jesus, I want to share it. If you knew someone was going to come in this room and shoot everyone with a gun, you would interrupt me. You wouldn't worry about offending me. You wouldn't worry about offending people. You wouldn't worry about the schedule. You'd say, we have to get out of here because we're going to get hurt. The same passion should be towards helping people escape the judgment of hell. The same passion should be towards helping people come to know the joy and the, the, the love of God and the meaning of life that we have in Christ. Now, different people have different gifts, so we're not all called to be a preacher or a teacher. Um, we're not all called to share Jesus in this way. So how are you called to share Jesus with the world? So 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always be being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So this does not mean you have all the apologetic answers and you can explain everything. It means you know your testimony. It means you know why you believe in Jesus. It means you're confident that this is the truth, the only truth. So, how are you gifted to share the gospel message? Is the Lord raising up someone in here to be a teacher or preacher? If you feel like not me, that's understandable. Because in James 3.1, he says, Not many of you become teachers, and know that we who teach are under a stricter judgment. That always makes me feel so comfortable when I'm up here. <laughs> but has God maybe given you the gift of hospitality? Um, are you called to bring people into your homes? Um, that passage where Aquila and Purcell pulled them aside um, is often interpreted interpreted has brought them into their home. Um, are you meant to take the time to reason with others, just to walk through and talk to them and help them see that Jesus is the way? Have a cup of coffee with someone. We just work out how God's gifted us and how we live out our part in the Great Commission. Which brings me to my next point displaying Jesus through sending and missions. So this passage here, 
um, Acts 18, 27 through 28, this is after Aquila and Priscilla had talked to Apollos and had given him the complete understanding of the gospel, or the, the complete message, we'll say. And we had wished to cross to Achaia. The brothers encouraged him. Achaia is the one that wasn't up there, so now we know it. And we had wished to cross to Achaia. The brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace believed. So, as we embrace this gospel message, we hear it, as we walk in obedience, as we are built up and edified by good, godly times at church, um, as we share the love of God with people, we want this gospel to go throughout our area and to the utter ends of the world, everywhere. This is why we have missions, an organized effort to meet people's needs who are less fortunate, to show the love of God, and to bring the gospel places it hasn't gone yet. This is the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations, every people group. Um, you know, it, it, like, I won't mention their names, but last week when we had the missionaries who, who shared the testimony of the work they're doing, I loved it. And it was so wonderful to see, you know, some of how our funds are going to do a wonderful, good thing. Like, I listened to them, and I was just like, I believe in this. Sometimes you give to missions, you know it's good, and you see on paper, oh, it's going here and here. Praise God. But that testimony was so life-giving for me because I got a little glimpse of God's work and God's glory and what he's doing. That is why we give. That is why we serve. So Acts, so oh, okay, hold on, I'm one here. So Acts one eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is the power that we have received. This is the Holy Spirit in you. This power is in you. This is the word dumis. Um, it, it means an inherent power or power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature or power which a person or thing exerts and puts forth. Um, it's a reference to both physical and moral um, it's the same word to describe miracles and wonders. This is the power of the Holy Spirit in you, and it is to empower you to live for God and display Jesus. It's the power in you to turn away from darkness. It's the power in you to be a partaker of the divine nature that you can love like Jesus loved, that you can speak words of kindness, that you can be filled with joy. This power is in you. So, 
So, I want to end with a question. How is God working in your heart? I like to stop and have a prayer time when I speak. We talked about obedience, edification, discipleship, sharing the message, however you're gifted, and serving in missions. Um, That is whether you're supposed to be going on missions or supporting missions. Um, I want you to stop while I pray and consider, is there something that God is prompting me to do here? Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for your goodness, your love, and your kindness. God, I lift up all these things here, obedience, edification, discipleship, sharing the message and missions, and just pray that you would help all of us continuously grow. If there's something in my heart, and I know this week obedience has been the one that has been prompting me that I need to learn to speak with kindness more and serve more. God, I pray for all of us however you're working our hearts, that you would help us to receive the work you're doing and be obedient. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters. It was a blessing to share with you. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next Unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for Pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon. 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.